0: That's kind of the question we're starting with today. Whose kingdom are you in? Whose kingdom are you serving? Whose kingdom are you uh, pledging your allegiance to? Yours? Or are you you, uh, in the kingdom, are you pledging your allegiance to the kingdom that Christ has created? Where there is no more weeping, there is no more uh, pain, there's only joy. Now, on one hand, when we think about the love of, of Jesus, all right, when we think about the the kingdom of Christ, and we think about the message and the mission of Jesus, um, on one hand, it's extremely attractive, right? I mean, isn't there an extremely attra- if there's an extremely attractive element to Jesus? Say amen. 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 All right. I mean, when we see Jesus like standing up for the oppressed, right? when we see Jesus heal a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, when we see Jesus raise up a little girl, when we see the compassion of Jesus, when we see this kind of love being poured out, Um, it draws tears to our eyes. I mean, it's like this beautiful, attractive uh, love. But now listen, you take that same same love, all right? It's the same thing. And you kind of step back and you turn and you look at it At a different angle, and it's offensive. There is a very attractive element to Jesus' love which draws people, and many of you, it has drawn you. But if we turn just a little bit and we look at this love in a different way, it is offensive to us. It is offensive to us as fallen human beings. Because what this love demands, and what the kingdom of Christ, of God, demands, is that we walk away from our own kingdom. We no longer pledge allegiance to ourselves. We're no longer the center. See, what we begin to find then is that those elements... Uh, where we're attracted to Jesus, because he's doing such nice things, so often that's because we think he's doing something for us. And it can easily become a man-centered religion, a you-centered religion. And as soon as we begin to see that Jesus is taking the emphasis off of me, off of us, and Jesus is actually putting the emphasis on himself, pointing to himself, Pointing to the Father, pointing to God. There is something about that that begins to offend us. And we clench our fists and we say, no, that can't be. Get away from me and we crucify him. I mean, think about this. Throughout, even throughout what we've seen in, in uh, the Gospel of Mark. And turn to Mark if, if you're not there yet. Uh, we're, we're going through the Gospel of Mark. This is our eighth uh, sermon in this series. And um, we are in chapter six. Did I just cut out here? Check one, two. I might have. Let me just check this really quick. Check one, two. We should be good. Let me use the mic. Sorry about that. It's the devil, right? <laughs> He's trying to keep us from what we're doing. Um, all right, turn, turn to Mark chapter 6. Well, what we've been seeing in the gospel of Mark is that crowds on one hand are drawn to Jesus like crazy, right? I mean, we've seen these crowds come around him. He's... Got a lot of fans, like the celebrity status to the point where he's about to be crushed. They go across the sea, all that kind of fun stuff. And at the same time, all right, so crowds are drawn. Crowds, are they like Jesus. We want to be around him. There's something attractive about him. And at the same time, and what we're going to begin to see here in chapter 6, and we're going to also drop back to chapter 5 a little bit today, what we're what we're beginning to see is the same Jesus, all right? Often the same crowds, the same people, the same culture. And the same Jesus who attracts people also repels people, and we're going to see this Jesus uh, become rejected. He came to his own, and his own what? Did not receive him. So let's uh, let's dive into chapter six, and, uh, and and I want you to. As we as we talk about this, what I want you to do is uh, answer this question: Um, Do you love Jesus? And it's a question that, like, we typically answer very quickly and easily. Do you love God? Um, You you know, you ask anybody to tell them about their relationship with God, and the first thing they'll say typically is, "Well, I love God." Do you? Really? Are you sure? Um, Do you love God? you can know if you love God based on how much you love Jesus. Do you love Jesus? Do you follow him? Are you ob- obedient to him? Are you pledging your allegiance to him? So here we go. Let me pray first, actually, before we, before we get in to chapter 6. God, I, I do ask that as we come into these scriptures right here, uh, that we um, recognize that they are your word for us, uh, that you have given them to us as a gift uh, so we can know you, so we can know your character, so we can know your love, uh, so we can know your anger, so we can know your grace. And God, as we uh, read this story today where we see crowds uh, actually reject you in the flesh, if there is any place in our heart that is rejecting you, if there's any darkness there, I ask that you do us a favor and show that to us. Let us see where we're falling short. And God, if, it's, uh, uh, if it would please you, we ask that you uh, convict us in that way, draw us to you, save us. It's in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right, Mark chapter 6, verses, I'm going to read the first six verses again here. He went away from there and, and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. So where did he go? I want everybody to get that. His hometown, right. Just make sure you're listening. is not without honor except in his, ho- his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do mighty work there, except that he lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Now, if anybody is going to be sensitive to um, the mission and the message of Jesus, it should be who? Jesus should, first of all. And those around, it should be his hometown, right? If anybody should accept Jesus as their savior, you are my savior. You are my hope. You're where I find life. It should be his hometown. When I was growing up in the 90s, we would have said his homies, right? Do people say homies still? I grew up in the 90s, and that's, I, I call all my friends my homies. Um, Man, I miss the 90s. It's like this perfect mixture of grunge and gangster rap, you know, Nirvana and uh, Biggie Smalls all come together in one. That was me. And uh, homies, I mean, when we talk about your homies, right, um, those are the the people that you grew up with often, right? Can we give a definition for homies this morning? Maybe we can give this to Webster. I don't know if homies is even in Webster, but... Um, homies would be those who you grew up with, right? And what else? Come on, give me a definition for homies. Your crew, all right? Your peeps. The ones you hang with. with, All right? Now, are are your homies supposed to turn on you? No. Of course not. Because they're your homies, right? Um, Jesus went to his homies. All right? Seriously, he went... He went to his hometown. Now, Nazareth had about 500 people living there, all right? It wasn't like this big metropolis. It was this tiny little town. And these are people who saw Jesus grow up, all right? They saw him running around with diapers and uh, uh, playing in a little bouncy chair and whatever they did back in the day, you know, uh, playing with Tonka trucks, maybe. Um, Or uh, some of these people were his friends growing up. They, They played with him growing up they hit jumps with their bicycles and all that kind of stuff like these these are his people and if anybody all right I, I really want you to grasp this my wife my wife and i read this passage earlier this week and her first response was like he was betrayed by his own people like when we when we begin to understand fully what this must have felt like what this i mean how shocking this must have been for his disciples which by the way he took with them and i think we're going to find out why he took his disciples with them when he went to, to his hometown he is betrayed by his own people his own hometown his friends his family they 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 look at him and uh it says uh that they took offense at him um that word "offense" right there is—it literally is the word for stumbling block. Everybody say "stumbling block." This means that Jesus, when he was teaching in, in the synagogue, all right, was not attractive to them, but he was in fact the stumbling block for wherever they were going in life. Um, this, by the way, is why. Little side note. This is why we want no stumbling blocks to be put in place to the gospel. This is why we, we whatever it is, like when we think about how we do things with church and how as, as, we, as we start this church and as we go forward and start other churches and as we minister in the city to make sure that there are no other stumbling blocks that we're putting in place, Right? If culture is a stumbling block, then we change it. If some music is a stumbling block, then we change it. If some dress is a stumbling block, then we... Like, we don't want stumbling blocks put in place to Jesus because Jesus is a stumbling block. Jesus is the stumbling block to the gospel. When you hit him, you have to make a decision. It's not easy anymore. And, and so Jesus now uh, is not attractive to these people. He's not drawing them, but he's actually a stumbling block. I want you to turn to 1 Peter really quick. First Peter chapter two, um, Peter talks about stumbling blocks. Uh, let me start with verse one actually. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the, the pure spiritual milk. Do you long for the pure spiritual milk? Just a question I want to throw out there. Think about that. Do you long for that? Like, do you long for this, this kind of nurturing that you can, you can find only through the scriptures and in Christ? Um, That it may grow up into salvation, uh, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. He was in the world, he came to his own, his own didn't receive him, right? Rejected by his own, rejected by men. the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So the picture then that we get here in Peter is that there, is, there are all of these stones laying around and the builders are building this, this house, if you would, with these stones and they reject this one stone. And the picture we're getting here is, is now God's coming through and building his own house. And the stone that was rejected by the builders is what? The cornerstone. It's the foundation. And that stone now is, is for the builder, for those who rejected it, that stone is merely an offense. It's, 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 a, um, it's a stumbling block. They stumble over it. And so Jesus then, and I, and I want us to understand this because if we're going to talk about Jesus in this series and talk about how this, everything we do is about pointing to Christ and giving Christ the glory, we have to understand that that for many, Jesus is a stumbling block. He is offensive. Um, in Luke, Luke's account of this same story that we're in right here where he's rejected in his hometown. In, in Luke's account, He goes into a little more detail, and Luke Luke says that Jesus walked into the synagogue. This is in in his hometown of Nazareth. He walked into the synagogue, and and the scroll was handed to him. He opens up the scroll, and he goes to Isaiah chapter 61, and he reads verses 1 and 2 of Isaiah 61. Let me read that for you. Just listen. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This is what Jesus is reading in the synagogue. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. And then he closes the scroll and this is what he says. He says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, on one hand, we hear that, and we're like, bind up the brokenhearted, good news to the poor. On one hand, we hear this, the scripture's been fulfilled, and we're like, yes, right? There's something that's like attractive about that. That's good. On the other hand, we, we step back, and we turn, and we look at it a different way, and if we could hear it through the lens of first century hearers who, who know what Isaiah was talking about, and talking about this this is pro, uh, Uh, prophetic messianic literature right here and so as Jesus is reading this and as he says today, right now um, this is being fulfilled in front of you Jesus is completely taking this messianic literature and he's pointing directly to himself my kingdom it's a statement of divinity it's a statement of kingship it's a statement that, that, that screams, I am the Messiah. And at this point, this offends a lot of people. Because if he's king, you've got to understand this. If he's king, then he demands everything I am. If he's king, if he's Lord, if he's Messiah, then he demands every bit of my worship, every bit of my, my being, everything, everything that I own, my money, my time, he demands all of it, if, if this really is pointing to him. And I think they found it easier to just simply say, get away. Get away. In one of the accounts of this story, he's, they actually try to kill him. They get violent. And we've seen this already in Mark. I mean, we've seen how, how Jesus has become sort of this—he's um, fulfilling this statement in Isaiah to bring good news to the poor. We saw that last week, even with this woman who's been bleeding for twelve years. I mean, poverty beyond our imagination. Seriously, like literally, good news for this lady. Good news for the poor to bind the brokenhearted and proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of prison to those who are bound. Remember what Jesus said about himself in that short parable we read about seven weeks ago? That short parable, Jesus, uh, he, he read it and or he told this parable referring to himself that there is a uh, a strong man who has captured, who has taken what's not his. And he says, how can we, uh, how can this man, um, or how can we plunder the strong man's goods unless we first Somebody binds up the man, and then they can take, do you remember this? You tracking with me? And then we see this like literally literally played out i want I want you to turn to chapter five, just back one chapter, so you can really see the power and the authority that is Jesus, um, his actions proving his words. Look at chapter five. We see this crazy. Maniac in the country of the Gerasenes. And he's described, uh, picture this, he's described as living among the tombs, all right? Lives in the cemetery. Kind of freaky, all right? Lives among the graves. He's running around crazy, naked. That's kind of freaky too. Um, it says that nobody in the town could bind this guy. Uh, they, they took shackles and they took chains and they literally tried to bind him. I mean, he's, he's violent. And they tried to hold him down. They tried to tie him up. Nobody, it said, nobody had the strength in the entire town to subdue him. I mean, an absolute, crazy, lunatic maniac. You get the picture? I want you to see what happens when he comes into the presence of Jesus. In verse 6 of chapter 5. When Jesus saw him from afar, he ran and fell down before him. The man did, the maniac. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now, skip to verse 12. Uh, And they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave these demons, all right, permission. And the unclean spirits came out of this maniac and entered the pigs uh, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed into, down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. So this man that people couldn't physically bind. I mean, picture like the strongest man, if, the, if it was our community, all right? The strongest man, who John probably? Are you the strongest? Who's strong? John or Brett? I don't know. Brett's pretty beastly on the basketball court. Um, Toshio maybe? We take the strongest dude. We're like... We, somebody has got to bind this guy. Somebody's got to hold him down. We've, he, he's devastating us. And we gather whoever we can gather, and we jump on, and we, we, we tie him up, and he immediately just breaks off the chains and the shackles into pieces, it says. And then Jesus comes, and he doesn't touch him physically. Because Jesus, Jesus doesn't wrestle with flesh and blood, right? His fight is against what? the principalities and darkness, the rulers of our world. And so then Jesus subdues this man completely with not chains, with not shackles, but with the power and the authority of his words. Say, that's authority. Amen? Now, what I want you to see is, is the townspeople reaction to this, all right? this is why I'm drawing this story out for you. How, by the way, how would you react? If you saw this, if you saw this happen, don't, don't skip forward yet in your Bibles. If you saw this crazy lunatic running naked, crazy maniac, I don't know any other adjectives to describe him, but you get the picture. And uh, Jesus subdues him with a word. And you come up now and you see this man who by the way you've hated this man has been your problem he's been your thorn you see him now subdued relaxed and sitting clothed next to jesus how would you respond because see we we typically think and we say this all the time i hear this all the time if i saw a miracle happen then i would believe like, I struggle with my faith. I str- I doubt. And man, if God were to just, like, perform a little miracle, you know, if I saw a little bit of something happen, just give me a little sign, something, a little stone that turns into bread or water that turns into wine. Give me a little something, and then I would, like, for sure believe. I would really believe then. I hear people say that all the time. I actually, an atheist told that to me uh, once, and I was she was like, Look, if if right now um, if if something happened and like God just made something appear, then I would believe. I would believe every word that you're telling me. I believe every word that the Bible says. If I saw a miracle, and I looked at her, and this was my response, I was like, "No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't believe." As a matter of fact, it would probably be more of a stumbling block to you if that happened. Because see, all through the scriptures, we see people in the presence of Jesus watching phenomenal things happen, all right? A crazy man subdued by the word and then 2,000 pigs running into the sea, all right? Him coming in and preaching with authority that they've never heard before and proving his authority in his teaching through healing. I mean, they're seeing some crazy, ridiculous stuff, What's their response? I want you to see their response. In verse 14, the herdsmen fled and told it it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus, and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Now, is that not like a turn of events, a shocker? Jesus just came and he actually answered your problem for you? The thing that's been going on that you've been, you've been wishing would change? It's, he moved miraculously and then we ask him to what? Okay, thanks. You're scaring me now. Get away from me. Depart. I mean, does this not touch, like, a piece of who we are? Resonate with a chord? Something in our hearts? Something that's dark? Something that we don't really like to admit exists? Um, the townspeople get away the people in Jesus' own hometown at the synagogue preaching with authority pointing to himself and they say get away you're an offense to us you're a stumbling like get away if 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 Jesus were to show up here in this room. All right. I'm going to ask like the old, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you've heard people ask this question. What if Jesus were to show up today? Right. If Jesus were to show up today, we typically think like, man, I would love, like if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you at one point have said, I would love to spend a day with Jesus. That'd be so awesome. We'd go fishing. Right. Right. I would love to spend like or just five minutes with him. If I could just spend some time with Jesus, we think we think it'd be so awesome to just hang out with Jesus, right? But I, I want you to just like really imagine with me if Jesus were to actually walk into this room, okay? Or maybe maybe you go home and you're you're at home. You're sitting in your living room by yourself, and Jesus like rings the bell and he walks in to your house, okay? and, um, and he's, he's looking at you. He's looking in your eyes. Would you want him there? There is a place of the human heart uh, that, that finds Jesus offensive, and we want to reject him. As a matter of fact, as Jesus went on, after this, this, this uh, craziness in his hometown, he then leaves, which by the way, he, he marvels at their unbelief. He's amazed at their unbelief. He's not, a, you know, what amazes God isn't the fact that we are great sinners. It's not the fact that we stumble over and over and over and we do stupid things over. He expects us to do stupid things, all right? What amazes God is our unbelief. And so Jesus marvels at their unbelief and then he leaves, and then he tells his 12 disciples, and I believe this very well could be why his disciples went with him in the first place. This was just a little learning experience for them. He uses this as a teaching opportunity and he looks at his 12 and he sends them out two by two to, by the way, do what he does. This is the first instance now. We see Jesus sending out his disciples with his same power and with his same authority to go and do what he does to call people to repent and to have authority over the spiritual realm to bind the spiritual realm and as they go he says this in verse 10 he said to them whenever you enter a house and stay there stay there until you depart and if any place will not receive you they will not listen to you when you leave shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them so jesus went out and proclaimed that people should repent and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them so that the disciples then go about doing what Jesus is doing and the instructions Jesus gives them is first of all know this you will be rejected you will be rejected when you come and you walk into somebody's life and you tell them to repent of serving their kingdom And to turn to Christ and everything about you now is to be directed toward toward and for the glory, done for the glory of Christ. He's saying you will be rejected. That's going to happen. Jesus is rejected over and over and over and over again. He came, the, the word became flesh, dwelt among us. He came to his own and his own did not Receive him. And so if we 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 think about sort of like this whole man, if Jesus were to walk in here and and he were he were to look at me and and know everything about me, he were to look at my eyes, like what would he see? What would I be afraid of him seeing? Would I want him to stay? What if Jesus requires something of me or tells me something to do that I'm not willing to do? What if he tells me to suffer? What if he calls me to a life that I'm, I'm afraid of, that I'm not willing to, to live out? We, we, need, uh, we need more Christians like this guy named Pastor Tedessa. He was, I've told you guys this before, you might remember it. He was an Ethiopian pastor during a time of great uh, persecution in Ethiopia. And um, he was sentenced to, to die. He was going to be electrocuted, and th- they were going to kill him for, for the fact that he was leading this congregation. And, uh, and by the way, when they would get together for worship, if they had a Bible, they would take the pages and distribute them among everyone there, and then they would write down uh, everything on that page and start handing it to someone else. This is how they would make copies of the. This is how much they loved getting their hands on what we take so lightly, uh, take, take for granted. Um, and so this guy's about to die. And right before they flip the switch to kill him, do you remember this story? Right before they flip the switch to kill him, the power in the whole town goes out. And they do this three times. They get the power back up, they go to flip the switch to kill him, and the power goes out again. And after the third time, they're like, get, get out of here. Like, we don't know what to do with you. We can't kill you. So I guess you can go free. And so he leaves, and he's walking up the side of this hill and comes into contact with an American Christian. And the American Christian hears this pastor's story and is, is you know, really sympathetic for him. He's like, oh, my goodness, that's so amazing. Like, praise God. And, and then as the pastor is leaving, the American Christian says, we're, we'll pray for you when I get back. I've, I've got a network of prayer warriors back in the States, and we'll pray for you when I get back. And he whipped around and turned at the Christian, like, shocked. And he was like, you'll pray for me? And he was like, I'll pray for you guys. And then this shocked the American Christian. He was like, why, why would you pray for us? And so his response was this. He said, he was like, because I've heard it said, and tell me if this is true, as if maybe it's not, you know. He said, I've, I've heard it said, that in America, there are Christians who have multiple copies of the Bible and they often will go an entire week without reading it. And the the American Christian was like, yeah, that's actually true. And then he said, I've also heard it said that in America, you'll have churches all over the place, like on every, every corner, there's churches all over. And he said, they're good churches that people can go to. But I've heard that on a sunny day, if it's nice out, Christians will often opt to go for a picnic instead of going to church. Or if they're tired, they're tired they will sleep instead of go to church. And he's like, that's actually true. Like it, this, this pastor in Ethiopia, he couldn't fathom. He couldn't fathom this. Because for him, for him if you have um, moved from your kingdom into the kingdom of Christ, he has completely consumed you. And things like the scriptures, I mean, this is where we get to know God. If, I mean, if we were to go to God, if you were to have a direct conversation with God, which, by the way, you can, and you were to ask God, like, give me something cool, like, give me an authority or give me a human to tell me something really cool, you know? He would be like, I've given you everything you need right here. I've given you the Bible. So we've got God's very word preserved for us. Everything we need to know about God is right here. Um, this pastor in Ethiopia takes that seriously. We have direct access to God through prayer. We can intercess for each other. We we can we can pray for we can we can talk. We can find comfort in in prayer. This pastor takes that seriously. We can come together as a body. And fellowship together and worship together and encourage each other towards growth. And in this culture, they would take every single opportunity they can to do that. And they can't fathom how it's so easy over here and how we just take it so lightly. And so then I I, I ask, uh, uh, again, like, when, when we think about our spiritual lives, when we think about, like, you know, uh, you, you might even say like well yeah i I love Jesus and I get him but i 'm just like i don't know i 'm going through a dry time or i'm uh just just struggling with some things in, in life i got uh some some i'm really busy lately you know got got a lot of things going on so I just haven't had much time to set aside to really it's like I think this pastor would look at you and just start laughing you know like are you serious like it's not about just setting aside a little bit of time here and there and just making sure you get your, your QT in, as we called it what, back when I was <laughs> your quiet time, right? That's um, what I, and, and never mind. Um, but Jesus is, Jesus is to be everything, everything for us. And listen, I want you to hear this. If he's not everything for you, then he's nothing for you. There is no middle ground if you are apathetic toward Christ, then there is rejection happening somewhere in your heart. Let me, let me read this, if you don't believe me. Revelations chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Somebody spit. Just kidding. Don't do that. Uh, Spitting out of your mouth, Jesus spitting us out of his mouth, that doesn't sound like a very nice thing, does it? I mean, do you want does anybody want to be spit out of Jesus' mouth? Spit is not something that you treasure. And Jesus is saying if you are lukewarm, like you're kind of on the fence. Like you kind of got me, but you kind of don't. You're kind of apathetic. You're kind of busy in life, and you're not really excited about me anymore. Like what he's saying. This is the challenge that I want to sit, we want you guys to sit with this morning. I will spit you out of my mouth. You've rejected me. It's it's amazing when we when we think about. Um, American Christianity, when we think about just the way that we live our lives and the way that we go to church and the way that we kind of do things, you know, God can have this little section of my life but not this section of my life, right? It's amazing how we can live our lives um, in such a self-sufficient manner. Meaning we can wake up in the morning, um, brush our teeth, Go to work, come home, um, eat dinner, pay a couple bills, do a couple chores around the house, go to bed, and not once rely on Christ, not once think about Jesus, not once I, like have our minds di- directed toward the fact that we are serving His kingdom. And every breath that I take, every action that I do, everything that I'm doing today, is to bring him, it's to to reflect who he is. It's to show the world his glory. It's to make him famous. Like that doesn't even cross our minds, like day after day after day after day. I mean, doesn't that shock you? And I'm talking as a brother here, I'm not talking as one who's like, conquered everything. I'm one of you on this, all right? But we've got to understand that as that might shock us, as we really consider our lives, as that shocks us, it also shocks God. He marvels at our unbelief. How can, how can he be our savior and then we take him so lightly? We, we, just, we just go about our day. We go, you know, we're good to go when we die. We're, we don't have to worry, you know, whatever. And we just live our lives like anybody else would live their lives. God marvels at that. How can you have such little belief? Jesus goes to his hometown. They see the the miracles. They they hear his preaching. They watch him even lay hands. I mean, it says he lays hands on people and he heals people. They they see this. Yet, uh, when they realize who Jesus is claiming to be. For instance, Jesus walks in. All right, he's here with us. And you're like, oh, cool, I get to spend a day with, with Jesus. And in our minds, we're thi- what we're thinking is uh, the Jesus that is sort of my buddy and um, uh, will do life on my terms, will kind of come along with me, and when I need a little something, or he'll, he'll hook me up. But when we realize that Jesus comes in and he looks us in the eye, and by the way, he knows every little secret that we hold, right? He knows our apathetic spirit. He knows um, how we've been saved and then we trample over that, right? We trample over the blood and the cross. We don't care. He knows that he, as he's looking at us. And then he's He's calling us now to repent. He's calling us to fall on our knees and say, okay, my kingdom is over. I'm done serving my kingdom. I'm done living as if I'm the center, and everything now is going to be directed toward you. It's repentance. It's moving from one kingdom to the other kingdom, and you are now my Lord. When we realize that, do we fall on our knees, or do we politely say, can you come back another time? Because I've got this thing over here, and if you actually come if I, if I kind of let you in, you're actually going to be a stumbling block for me to get where I'm going. I've got this stuff over here. And that's really where I want to hang out right now. And if I let you too close into my life, if I realize God is with me, the creator of this universe is here. And he's demanding every bit of me. He's going to be a stumbling block for, for who I actually want to be, want to become, or want Saint Augustine said that there are two. There are only two kinds of loves, in all of this world. Like not just he's not just talking about like Christians or um, interpretation. He says it, out of the entire world, when you look at every single person, he says there are two kinds of loves. Um, the the first way to love is to love God, period, completely the second way to love is to love other things. You can either love God, period, or you can love other things. And so is Jesus then a stumbling block to you? Or are you like this maniac? Which, by the way, out of, out of all, all these stories we've been talking through this morning, the one person that we see come to Christ and repent, I want, I want you to see this. Go back to me, with me to chapter 5. Look, at, well, look what happens with the maniac. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed, the maniac, the crazy dude with demons, he begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but he said, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away, and he began to proclaim in in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for, for him. And everyone marveled. This maniac knew rejection. He knew what it was like to not be wanted. This maniac knew that before his encounter with Christ he had only devastation he had absolutely nothing in his life he was wretched pitiable poor blind and see Jesus Jesus doesn't want he doesn't want you to just be his homeboy all right Jesus wants the maniac. We, we have to recognize, you know, the painter Rembrandt, you know Rembrandt? When he painted the, the crucifixion, he actually painted himself into the crucifixion. Because see, when, when we recognize the rejection that we see here in the Bible, when people start to reject him, and then finally, we're going to see, in some weeks, we're going to see the rejection, which, which kills Jesus, puts him on the cross. What Rembrandt, Rembrandt believed, which is true, is that it wasn't just the religious leaders that rejected Jesus and killed him, but it was every one of us. It was every one of us. And so then to recognize that we have had nothing, that we are nothing, that we are naked, crazy, pitiable, like, like the maniac, and that because of our rejection, our sin has placed Jesus on the cross. That's what Jesus wants. And then we can recognize And when we recognize that, recognize that we realize that we don't want to just be his homeboy. But we want to be the maniac who's been saved by grace, who had nothing before Christ. All of my good things that I've done were nothing, they were waste before I met Jesus. All of my aspirations, all of my pride, everything that I was working for, it didn't make sense in light of all of eternity until I met Jesus. He has completely transformed me in in, in every way. And what we begin to recognize is this, is that we are actually, in fact, in the presence of God right now. God is here. As Brother Lawrence said, God is closer to you than you are aware of. He knows you more than you know yourself. And when we recognize that this God has saved us, uh, from being this crazy maniac to subdued, when we re- recognize what he's done for us, then our response is to simply fall before him, to repent of serving ourselves, to place Jesus in his proper place as king, as Lord of our lives, to direct every bit of our attention, every bit of our, uh, everything that we have, our, our time, our resources, whatever. We direct that toward Christ. So this morning, are you uh, asking Jesus to leave? So he's not a stumbling block for you or will you repent? Can you repent of the places in your heart where you have allowed stumbling blocks or Jesus to become a stumbling block? And you don't want to remove Jesus. Jesus. To so move from your kingdom into His. All right, let's let's pray and let's let's ask God to uh, to help us with that. Lord, we we do recognize that uh, we are so quick, uh, like Jesus' um, hometown, the people in His hometown, we are so quick to reject You. Uh, we're, it's so easy for us to go through life and to forget uh, who you actually are, to forget what you've done for us. It's so easy to allow ourselves to subtly kind of slip in as the center of our own universe. Our goals, our aspirations, our talents, our pride sort of becomes the number one thing. And God, we recognize right now that... that. Uh, As a result of that, it doesn't make us any better. Um, We're no stronger as an individual, but we actually are pitiable. And so God, we thank you for the fact that when we recognize our pitiable nature and our state and we turn to you, that is exactly the place that we find strength, hope, belonging, meaning, And so, God, as we do walk out of here today, we ask that we do so with you as the King and as the Lord of our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.